Hello my friends, welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. The project is for you and I together to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And Today we're in Exodus chapter 12, looking at the first 28 verses of that chapter and considering how the events described in it, i.e. the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, provide a template for living the spiritual life. If you're here for the very first time today, then why not consider clicking on the subscribe button wherever it is you're getting your podcasts from, and that way you need not miss another single episode. That way you can make the decision to make studying the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. And if you are here for the first time, then hang on, particularly to the end, where I'll give you lots of information of ways in which you can connect to this ministry and receive lots of other free Bible teaching and Bible study resources. So with that all said, it's great to have you with me today and we'll drop back into the main text and pick up where we left off last time. They do say a picture paints a thousand words and perhaps it is for that reason that the Bible is full of pictures. Wait a minute you're thinking, my Bible doesn't have any pictures in it. Well, I'm not talking about the maps in the back. Those are the only actual physical pictures that appear in most people's Bibles. What I mean by that is that the Bible is full of illustrative stories and objects lessons which are descriptions which provide us with visual representations of something that is important to the spiritual life. And in this chapter, I wanted to explore for us two of these pictures, so to speak, these Jewish feasts that are described for us in the Old Testament that represent, if you like, snapshots, snapshots of the spiritual life, the template of the spiritual life. And when they're properly understood, they do present a very simple, vivid picture of what the biblical narrative is all about. So join with me today as we look at the mental photo gallery that is laid out before us in Exodus chapter 12. So what I'd like to do is begin by reading to you the first part of the text, which will cover the opening 13 verses for us, which tell us this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Speak to the whole congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, let him and his neighbour in the next house take it according to the number of persons, and according to each man's need you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb should be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill them at twilight. And then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they eat in. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they should eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boil it with water, but roast it in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. 
You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it you shall burn with fire, and thus it shall be eaten. And you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, and sandals on your feet, and a staff in your hand. So you shall eat in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague of the firstborn shall not be on you. And I shall not destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So we'll pause there. That's picture one. And this is the Passover. And it's one of two important pictures in this chapter. And this one is the one we're probably most familiar with. Most of what I've just read, I suspect a lot of you listening to this probably already know about this. But there are things in this that I do feel are important to understand and need to be explained. So what we're going to do is what we always go as go through the passage and see what it's actually talking about. And more importantly, what it actually means and means for us today. So in the opening of this chapter, it states that this month is going to be the beginning of months for the Israelites. So it's signifying the start of something new, the start of their new year, in fact, which will fall roughly where our March or April currently sits. Some argue that this not only indicates the beginning of a new year, but this is the beginning of the nation of Israel itself. Anyway, it then says that on the 10th day of that month, Every household in the land is to take a lamb or a goat. And if there's not enough of you to eat a whole lamb in that household, you should share it and come together and do this with the neighbour. So by adding this caveat, this emphasises that this Passover meal is not just an individual or a family ceremony. It's also a communal affair. The chosen lamb, it says, also must be without blemish and it is to be selected four days before it is to be killed. It then goes on to say that those four days later, on the 14th day of the same month, the entire congregation, in other words, everyone together, the whole community of Israel, are to slaughter their lambs. It also says the act of slaughter should take place at twilight. The text also goes on to say that you take some of the blood of the slaughtered lamb and apply it to the two doorposts of the house. Now the doorposts are the two horizontal beams that hold the door in place. One post supports the door and the other would catch it as it shuts. So the blood would be placed on the doorpost and then the text then mentions that they should eat this lamb that they've roasted that night and they should eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. But it adds that it should be roasted over a fire and that's seen as important. Roasted over a fire intact with its head, legs and even its inner organs in place. You see, by following these instructions, the lamb would then be presented at the table in a way that visually represented a whole animal sacrificed. So this feast is not just being presented as merely a meal. It's a symbolic event and a lamb whose blood was in fact shed and the act of putting its blood on the doorpost and being able to see it there would serve as a reminder that there was a sacrifice made in order to provide this meal. The prohibition against eating it raw or boiling it and eating it 
can be understood because that would contrast it with the practice of the local Egyptians pagans who consumed meat in that way. The meat here should be cooked and roasted maintaining this visual reminder of the fact that indeed an animal had been sacrificed and the specific instructions giving the regarding of the lamb's presentation on the table emphasized its significance as once being a whole animal. So in other words, again, this is not meant to be seen as a mere meal. This whole event is now symbolizing something way beyond just food. And also the fact that we are told that nothing of the lamb should remain until morning and whatever is left should be burnt with fire. And this signifies that the unconsuming portions hold their meaning beyond just the sustenance value of the food and creates a picture similar to the Old Testament sacrifices that were given and prescribed for Abraham in the wilderness. But it also adds this unusual thing where it says that whilst eating the ram, that people should be dressed, that they should be dressed and have their belt already around their waist and their sandals on their feet and their staff in their hand, in other words, ready to leave. This urgency is emphasised because it is saying this is the Lord's Passover. It's wanting to remind them that this entire procedure was meant to be carried out quickly and in a state of readiness, emphasising the potential need for the, them to leave at haste at any moment. The Passover feast will go on to hold great importance in the life of the Israelites and indeed in the Jewish nation today, as it still serves as a powerful reminder of their liberation from Egypt. And in doing it this way, it goes way beyond merely being a ritualistic meal. Instead, it serves as a commemoration, or a memorial, a reminder of the bitter experience that they went under, under the persecution of Pharaoh in Egypt, but also of their swift deliverance brought about by the Lord. So in the preparation of this feast, they are given very specific instructions on how it is to be followed. And there's very important instruction about keeping the sandals on their feet, which remembers, contrary to the usual practice of absolutely definitely removing your shoes when entering a house at that time, this extra detail is given to remind them of the urgency associated with this Passover event. So this all means they were to be fully dressed with a belt around their waist, their sandals on their feet, and the staff in their hand ready to go. The staff would normally be placed by the door and picked up as one passed through on your way out, but by holding it in your hand it says you're ready for immediate departure. This purpose behind eating the meal in haste is to emphasise the significance of what's going to happen that day, of the Lord's Passover, and then they're going to be called out of the land at any moment. So this is not about sitting back with your family and having a leisurely dinner. It is the opposite, in fact, and it remains and represents this to this day as a symbol of their deliverance and is meant to be a meal consumed with a sense of urgency. And the significance of the Passover feast extends across these various elements and how it is possessed. And verse 12, the closing of this passage, reveals that this is also commemorating and atoning for and making a judgment against those gods of Egypt. Because what is about to follow is the judgment that specifically targets the firstborn of all humans and animals. Remember, throughout all these ten plagues, and we're arriving at the tenth 
but at each level each plague represented a judgment against an Egyptian god. And in this final plague, which is the death of the firstborn, it serves as a judgment against the gods of Egypt. And the blood of the lamb plays a vital role as a sign, because it says, Look, you're putting it on the doorpost as a sign, so when the Lord sees the blood on the doorpost, he would literally pass over those houses and spare them from this devastating judgment that is about to come. This act of sparing the Israelites is demonstrating their salvation has been achieved through the shedding of blood. It was a sign of their faith and their trust in God and their belief in his promise of deliverance. So this Passover meal is not about having a feast or a gathering just to eat food and drink wine. It's a sign of something much greater. And without understanding the background and the content of these chapters in Exodus, it's really challenging for people to fully grasp the picture, the meaning behind the Passover feast that's described here in this chapter of Exodus. You've got to remember, and you can't lose sight of, the backdrop to the story involves the imminent arrival of the judgment, the arrival of the angel of death who would claim the lives of all the firstborn. However, by following these instructions given by God to select an unblemished lamb, slaughter it and apply its blood to the doorpost, those families who did that would be spared. So therefore the shedding of the lamb's blood was the key to their very survival. It signified that those who were destined to die would live because they had made the necessary sacrifice and demonstrated it with the blood of the Lamb. The preparation and celebration of this Passover feast required, you see, an act of faith from the children of Israel. The Israelites had first of all to believe in the promise of God and then act upon it by following his instructions. However, please note their salvation was not independently reliant on their own actions or merit, but in their trust in God's provision and thereby thereafter acting it out in faith through these events. And additionally, it's essential to recognise that it was not just their sight of the blood that mattered, but rather that God might see it as well. It was he who will see the blood on the doorpost and thereby Death can, the angel of death can pass over those houses, sparing those within it from the judgment. So while all these insights into the Passover feast seen here in Exodus are highly significant, I would have to say that it is only in and through the New Testament that we can really shed a further complete light on its true meaning in relation to what it means or potentially means for people today. Christ is revealed in the New Testament as the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover sacrifice. He is actually referred to as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world on several occasions in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5-7 identifies Jesus as our Passover Lamb. And similarly in 1 Peter 1.19, Peter describes Jesus as the unblemished spotless Lamb. And indeed, John, when first seeing Jesus, says, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this Passover feast, when approached with a New Testament perspective, we can see it as a foreshadowing of Jesus' coming sacrificial death. And when we draw insights from the New Testament, it becomes evidence that the Passover Lamb and its whole significance is to point forward to Jesus Christ as Saviour. The lamb's death in public is paralleled here 
by Jesus' crucifixion, the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost, serving as a sign of deliverance for the Israelite, is just the same as Jesus' blood signifies his sacrificial death and a life surrendered and sacrificed. And of course that means from the New Testament, the New Covenant promise, that even today, that through his death, believers are going to be saved from the judgment that will come again. As a little extra insight, we can also note that this text told us that none of the bones of the Passover lamb were to be broken and indeed none of Jesus's bones were broken during his crucifixion despite the brutality of his death and all the gospel accounts of the crucifixion confirm for us that that happened or rather that those bones were were not broken that that never happened to him. So understanding the significance of the Passover feast enhances our comprehension of Jesus's role as the Lamb of God and the fulfilment of God's plan of salvation through his sacrifice. So the Passover is now not only a historical event for the Israelites, but it is also seen here as a prophetic foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would make for all of humanity. When I, we, see the blood, we are saved. When God sees that we see the blood, He sees that we recognize that his divinely appointed lamb is the one who has died and what he then sees us is as a people of faith and he's satisfied with that. He is satisfied that the sacrifice has been made, the debt of our sins has been paid. Now in the New Testament there's a doctrine, a very famous doctrine about this. It's a lesser known doctrine. It is one of the most important in the Bible. We don't talk about it a lot because it has a bit of a technical name. It's very hard to translate what it actually means into modern English. In Old English, there was a word that completely describes it. Now, as evangelicals, we talk about this all the time, but we really don't have the name to use it. You see, in reality, most of the Bible is a fairly plainly spoken document. But there are a few words that are a little bit cryptic and a little bit difficult for us to get a hand on today. And one of those words, which historically is a word that was translated as the word propitiation. I wonder if you've ever heard that word. It's in 1 John and it's mentioned many times by Paul, where it talks about Jesus being the propitiation for our sins. So what in the world does that mean? Well, today it's more often translated as God is satisfied. And it's what it's saying that in the case of Jesus' death, his death satisfied God that justice had been paid. So the penalty for sin was death and propitiation said God seizes the blood and is satisfied that sin has been paid for, the debt has been paid. So this picture here given to us is a snapshot of the great doctrine of propitiation. In other words, the work of Jesus being able to satisfy God and the debt that sin had created with him. Now I constantly preach and teach and talk about the fact that Christ died for your sins, our sins, and that is all we need to embrace to get to heaven. And that's a simple way of saying, look, this is by Christ dying for our sins he is the propitiation because by that God is satisfied sin has been paid for so now he can freely give us the gift of eternal life 
Now at the beginning today I said there were two pictures here and we've only discussed one. So let's look at the second snapshot of spiritual truth. And this gets really interesting. Let's pick up the story at verse 14. Which says, So this day you shall, it shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout the generations, and you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So this sign is actually, this meal is a picture, and it's a picture that's meant to be a memorial, which means it's simply something that we do, in order, and that's something that we continue to do as a way of always remembering, and it's something that we should continue to do. If not, exactly in a physical sense as the meal but certainly in terms of what it means and the picture it's meant to paint in our mind but now we look at the second picture and we're going to read quickly from verses 15 to 20 where it says for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread on the first you shall remove leaven from your houses for whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day that person shall be cut from israel on the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on those days, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at the evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, as in all your dwellings you shall only eat unleavened bread. So what's that all about? It seems that as soon as the Passover is over, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is to begin. And while the Passover was just a one day, a single event, a single meal, the Feast of Unleavened Bread will last for seven days. The purpose of this feast is straightforward. People are told to abstain from work, except for meal preparation, and to avoid eating leavened bread. Now leaven, as you know, is what the thing that causes bread to rise. Today we might call it yeast. But during these seven days the Israelites were to eat unleavened bread because God wants to teach a lesson and he wants to provide a picture for us. What is the purpose of yeast? The purpose of yeast is to, to increase and multiply. One would say it might even be to puff up, which is a picture, of course, of pride. So we need to delve into the significance of of this feast of unleavened bread and the fact that the leaven is to be purged not only from the families but from the very family homes. You see in the first Passover night the people of Israel left Egypt in a hurry without even having enough time to allow the dough to rise in the preparation of the meal. So the idea of unleavened bread is a symbol again of the haste of the fact that the meal that they were preparing had to be done in haste. However now see we since we see that this feast lasts for seven days, from the 14th to 21st, we need to now understand that there's something more than just this leaven representing the need to act in haste. Well, helpfully from other parts of Scripture, particularly the New Testament, we now understand that leaven symbolizes sin. 
Therefore, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is meant to serve as a reminder to the Israelites and to us today that those who have been redeemed should immediately, upon that happening, rid themselves of their sin. And this is a powerful picture, the way these two events, these two concepts, these two memorials are juxtapositions. Someone once said, leaven generally permeates dough and its whole purpose is to affect every part of it. And in this context, the requirement for unleavened bread is meant to remind the Israelites and future generations and us today that their ancestors fled Egypt in a hurry, but remind them that they must now live their lives in a way that we should reflect the purity of unleavened bread as representing them as redeemed individuals. You see, bread has always represented life in the New Testament. Give us this day our daily bread, we are told. And as the Israelites here have been given a new life through God's provision, mediated by the Passover lamb, their lives were now to remain separated from sin. So eating unleavened bread for a week and removing all the leaven from their houses reinforced the necessity of living a holy life and maintaining a holy life thereafter. So to summarise, the spiritual journey outlined in these two pictures follow the path and the story of God's redemption of his people. We are saved through faith and believing in God's promise and by recognising that the shedding of the blood of an innocent lamb appointed by God satisfies the requirement for our sins to be forgiven. That is propitiation. And once redeemed, our response should be from there on in to eliminate all sin from our lives. Thus, the removal of leaven always should follow redemption. It's important to note that removing sin is not a prerequisite prior to redemption. Rather, it is the necessarily step that follows on from it. So these two pictures of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread present a beautiful, simple illustration, a snapshot of how we should live the spiritual life. Now we'll just close quickly by examining the implications of these instructions as described through verse 21 to 28. I'm not going to read them because they're a repeat of the text that was said pretty much through from verses uh, 1 to 14, uh, a little bit beyond that up to 20 as well, where again it's just documenting that the people did exactly as what they were told to do in the earlier verses. So it pretty much appears as a repetition of what was said before, but this time in its application. And there isn't much in the passage which we haven't already seen and discussed, except perhaps for the use of hyssop as the instrument with which they apply the blood to the doorposts. So the remainder of this passage simply documents that which is already said and the instructions given in the first 20 verses. But the closing verse, verse 28, does stand out as adding something new and a little bit exceptional because it actually states for the first time that the people did everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And this is actually unusual because this is the first time this obedience is recorded as being across the whole nation. We saw it emerging and total obedience appearing in Moses and Aaron and their interaction interactions before Pharaoh but this is the first time it's declared as obedience across the whole nation and this is important to note because this is not always going to be the case 
We shall see as we continue reading through the Pentateuch, that's Genesis through to Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, we find that the Israelites, in fact, often deviate from the very commands God gives them. But on this occasion, they are seen to follow through precisely. So, in conclusion, having reviewed the passage and seen the implementation of it, which has provided a snapshot for our spiritual life, let me just close by considering what I believe that we today can learn from this passage. We have seen here the Lord instituting these feasts as perpetual memorials, which today we can look at them and view them as sort of little memorial drama events, like pictures, snapshots of redemption and the holy life that should follow on. When we hear of the Passover, we should think of both Passover and unleavened bread and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and see how they are closely connected. And here we see that these two feasts present two distinct pictures for us, two distinct lessons that we should learn and apply. Firstly, that we need to, today, in our way, as Christian believers, observe the Passover. But we do it today by trusting in Jesus Christ, by trusting in the sinless Lamb of the God who died in our place as our substitute once and for all. In parallel with the Israelites, we too have escaped death by believing in God's promise that the blood of the Lamb will redeem us. The New Testament echoes this and describes Jesus in just this way. In 1 John verse 2, it states that our salvation rests on faith in Jesus Christ as the sinless Lamb of God who died for our sins. Therefore, the first lesson of this passage is to observe spiritually the Passover, and we do that today by simply placing our faith in Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb. And secondly, we are also told here that we should continue in our, our spiritual life, continue to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the way we do that today is by making the decision to eliminate sins from our lives. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 6, where he correlates directly between what he's teaching and tying it in with this passage here, Exodus chapter 12. Paul, in fact, chastises the Corinthians for tolerating sin and immorality in their misks and likens leaven to their sin. And he says that that cannot be allowed to permeate and corrupt the entire congregation. So just like in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he tells them they are to purge out the old leaven and that they are all to be and continue to be and continue to living like the new person, the one who is unleavened, i.e. who is sinless. And since Christ as our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us, we are to keep the feast of unleavened bread to us. It means we are today to do that in a spiritual sense by not holding on to any of the old leaven, not holding on to any of those old sins, the old ideas, the old perspectives of malice, revenge, wickedness, but we are to live with God's help a life of sincerity and truth and faith. So that is actually the direct application of the two pictures presented in Exodus 25. For us as Christian believers, it's not that important that we celebrate the actual meals, but it's absolutely vital and important that we understand what they mean and continue to apply their meaning in our life. Just as the Israelites were to remove all leaven from their houses and their lives, we today 
are to eliminate sin. We should never forget that the physical acts represented something real in the lives of the people. And we can continue that today from earnestly striving to remove all sin from our lives and replace it with the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has given us and live lives of truth, integrity and righteousness. In other words, lives that simply honour the God who saves us. It also helps us recognise that we shouldn't fall into the trap of only focusing on what we see are the major sins and trying to eliminate just the big things. The point here is that we're being told to eradicate all sins at all levels and by talking about the levels it's saying get that stuff out at the very beginning. In other words not only refrain from from doing the big stuff day to day but we should also ensure that we should try and allow the stuff never to take root in our lives or in our homes and it's crucial to recognize by the the picture of leaven that even the smallest smallest of sins can grow and can have hugely significant consequences so we must eliminate both the prominent and the inconspicuous little sins get rid of them out of our life and we do that by constantly sacrificing our lives to the Lord and asking for the forgiveness of that sin a forgiveness that is always accepted when we come before him under the blood of the lamb so in conclusion friends the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread described here offer profound spiritual lessons for us telling us to trust in Jesus Christ because he is in fact our Passover lamb and also that by placing our faith in him, we will too also escape spiritual death and receive eternal life. And the second lesson is simply to eliminate all sin from our lives. And just as the Israelites removed leaven during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we are to drive out sin and replace it with sincerity, truth and the righteousness of God. So friend, the picture here, these two feasts, Passover and Unleavened Bread, Together they form a beautiful illustration of our spiritual journey of faith and life as Christian believers, which means that we have a redemption followed by a holy life. And I trust that by recognising and seeing this, you're able to picture it in your life and apply it in your life also. Okay, there we are. That's it for today. Thank you again for joining me. I'm so glad you decided to be with me. We're in season five, which is the book of Exodus. We've done some overviews and some bonus seasons, but the plan is generally to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Season one was Genesis. Season two was Matthew. Season three is Exodus. Season four will be the Gospel of Mark. Very soon I realised the plan should be not to try and work through the whole Old Testament for years and years and years before getting to the New Testament and before effectively meeting Jesus in the Bible, which is why I'm doing it alternatively Old Testament and New Testament. I hope you're finding it helpful and I hope you're having your life transformed by the study of the Word of God. 
Now, if you're here for the first time, it's worth noting that the podcast is actually hosted on thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com. Now, of course, you're probably getting it on one of nearly 30 podcast platforms that are out there. The big ones are like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and people like that. But to access the free resources, you're probably best going to the host site, which is thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com because the main podcast platforms don't allow you to put active links to other places on their platforms these days because they want to control, quite understandably, uh, the revenue that they're generating through their sites as your go-to place for podcasts, which is fine. But to access the free resources that I put available, the links to the other places like the YouTube, the Facebook, also the episode notes, the detailed episode notes I put on about each episode, you would need to go to the the bibleproject.buzzsprout.com because that's the place where you can uh, click through to all those other places. There's even a link there to my Patreon page where I put all the sort of additional extra bonus material that doesn't really fit into this particular podcast, stuff I'm doing from the historical point of view, stuff I do in my preparation for talks at philosophical societies, psychological study groups, art groups, uh, even preaching events so that when I preach at other churches if they're recorded, all those sort of bits and pieces I put on the Patreon just as a thank you for those few people who are supporting this ministry and enabling it to be free. The main thing, the Bible project, the study of the Bible, to remain and stay free on all these platforms all around the world. So the Bibleproject.buzzsprout is the place where it's hosted and you can link through to all those other aspects there. But with that said, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll continue our journey together, this great turning point in the book of Exodus. Post-Passover, the escape from Egypt is about to come, and I do hope you'll stay with me as we go on this amazing journey together through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>